Hello and welcome back to the Harvard Hoops podcast. This is episode 84. I'm your host, Liam Horsley, uh, and this week we are not joined by Ben. He is uh, away with work, uh, but we have got a very special guest. It is a draft expert, I'm going to call him, because uh, I'm sure I like that, and host of the At The High podcast. It's James Plowright. James, how are you doing? I'm very well. Happy to be your substitute teacher today and, and help <laughs> you out. Yeah, ironic as well, because Ben is a teacher, so that fits quite well. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, but uh, how, how has life been? I haven't spoke to you for a while. I know you've been uh, deep into the weeds with the, the draft content. Have you enjoyed the, the year, even though uh, I guess things have been a bit different COVID-wise with the, the draft yeah, process? Yeah, abs- absolutely loved this NBA season. It's been a fantastic season. I think the last time I spoke to you, the Hornets were running like fly- flying high in the NBA. Everything was great. And I, I'm pretty sure I said to you, like, as a Hornets fan, we're just waiting for it all to come crashing down. And it did. I mean, the injuries to Lamelo, the injuries to Gordon Hayward, the injuries to Malik Monk, the injuries to Devontae Graham, the list goes on. Miles Bridges being a COVID protocol, PJ Washington being COVID protocol. It all spiraled, and we ended up having a pretty disappointing last third of the season, really, where we looked a lot to make the playoffs, even potentially a four or fifth seed, and we ended up finishing tenth. Um, so I didn't. Let's just put this way: I didn't think you know in January February time that I'd be looking at the 11th pick in the draft when previewing Charlotte's draft strategy this year but um yeah we definitely slid towards the end of the year but that doesn't take away from it from an awesome NBA season I've I've absolutely loved it it's been a great distraction during uh the the times that we were in um so yeah I've, I've loved I've loved the season yeah in terms of the Hornets as well I know I guess at one point when we were talking, you, you were hopeful of a playoff berth, but the benefit of not getting that playoff berth is that you get a better draft pick and you as someone who studies the draft, I guess that's a, kind of an upside to that. Um, what about your, your draft process? Have you still enjoyed doing it as much this year? Because I know obviously the season wasn't quite the same as, as past years in terms of college and the Ignite team is something different. So how have you kind of studied all that? Yeah, uh, I've enjoyed the draft process this year. Um, I think the last two years, I've definitely improved my process. Um, I think, just with pandemic and everything, I've had a little bit more time. Um, obviously, it's frustrating at times this year with, with games getting cancelled, etc. And some of the kind of a lot, a lot like the kind of some of the big name freshmen really struggled. And I think one thing while looking at this draft, we almost need to remember to zoom out and remember that like guys didn't have access to gyms and ages. Guys were having to live out of hotels. You know, they couldn't have that normal experience. Practice was limited. They'd interrupted seasons. Some were suffering from long COVID. Like, there's so many reasons why players this year shouldn't shouldn't have performed at the same level that they would do in a normal season. So I think that's one thing. Like, I didn't really hear that discussed much around this draft cycle. Everyone just treats it as like a normal year. And, and actually, it's far from it. So I think we'll see a lot greater variance in outcomes from this draft than maybe some of the previous drafts. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah, and from what we heard last year, a lot of players held off on uh, coming out for the draft until this year due to the year, how bad the year before was. So I think uh, it's kind of made the whole class uh, a lot more, uh, yeah, like you said, experience. And even the international prospects as well, a lot of those leagues were cancelled. So a lot of the players have waited to come out this season as well. So I think there's a lot more kind of a, a bigger pool of players, I guess, for, for people to draft between. So I think even the undrafted rookies this year will be of a higher standard maybe than uh, years before. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a deep class. I, I really do think it's a deep class. Uh, it took a real hit, I'd say, on the international withdrawal day. Like there was like Rocco Percushan withdrew, yeah. uh, Badgy withdrew. There was uh, a couple of other guys who were, you know, thought we were going to get selected who ended up pulling out. So, I mean, those are two guys in my top 60 who who I ended up having to take out. 
Um, so that was a shame. It did take a bit of a hit in terms of depth, but I still think it's a, a good draft. Yeah, definitely. And the, the top end is good. But uh, so the plan for today, we are going to talk a lot of draft stuff. We're going to go through James's top 10 on his big board. Uh, we've had CJ on the podcast. I know James is a little bit uh, higher and lower on some prospects compared to him. So that'd be interesting to see to see that. Uh, then we'll talk about some late first round sleepers. And then we're going to end with a, a big draft bet segment like we did last year. Because James, uh, he did win people some money last year. So that was uh, that was good. Uh, before we move on to that, the finals that were recently, me and Ben's finals podcast won't actually come out until after this. Uh, after this pod comes out. So I wanted just to get your views. You're obviously a small market fan, similar to myself and to Ben, being a Cavs fan. Um, the Hornets one day hopefully winning a title, that that's what you're going to watch. And obviously we've just seen the Bucks do it. They drafted Giannis. I know Middleton wasn't a draft, but they've developed him as a player as well. So what are your views on just seeing a small market team win it and see them kind of draft well to get there as well? Um, absolutely loved watching the Bucks this year. Um I've been on the Bucks bandwagon for a lot of this season and a lot of people have kind of looked look strangely at me when I when I tipped them for the title and in like the NBA pick'em where you kind of like predict the each round of the playoffs and everything I picked the Bucks to win which is great and won a little bit of dollar for that so uh that was that's always good but even outside of that you know a a top 3 player in the NBA in Giannis re-signing with his team after they flamed out the playoffs for a couple of years in a row the signings want to stay there. That team then going on and winning the championship. I mean, I know on paper all championships count for the same, but I just like that Bucks championship for me counts so much more than that Lakers championship. Like they've drafted and developed that team. Um, they've they've gone about it the right way. Those players have been there a while. It's not just a bunch of kind of rogue people who they've just signed or out out of the blue and put together a super team. They've shown perseverance and resilience. And and same thing with Coach Budenholzer as well, who's been there for a number of years now. And people have been saying he needs to get fired for like the last three seasons. So to see that, I think it really gives you hope that, I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks, back when I was following the NBA, they're drafting Larry Sanders, Brandon Jennings. Yeah. Like they were, they were a nothing team. They were just like the Charlotte Hornets. And to see them make that jump, was was really exciting. So and and for the Phoenix Suns for that matter as well. I know they've kind of had more success in recent memory, but even them, let's not pretend that they were some big market. They were in there as well. So I, I love this finals. I watched more of this finals probably since probably the most watched finals since 2013 when I think the Spurs were in against the Heat. Um yeah. that was the last that was the last one that I watched as much as this one. Like I was willing to get up at 3 a.m. To, to get the Bucks on, Bucks and Sons. I mean, Giannis was just incredible. And I mean, I know everyone says it, but it's just like the most likable superstar in the NBA that's ever been. So, uh, yeah, great season, deserving champions. I do think they got lucky with the Nets. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah, I the think Nets, the Nets would have won. Yeah, I think if the Nets were healthy, and I think I remember at one point we were in a, a group chat or something, and you said, like, who, who could actually beat the Nets? And I, I said, anyone, because I just don't think they'll still have healthy for the playoffs. And yeah. I know you're basically betting on luck there, right? But for yeah. me, just the variance they've shown over the year, there was just no, it's just all such a small chance that all those three players would stay healthy throughout the season. Um, so if they'd been healthy, I actually think the Nets would have won and probably fairly comfortably. But them being healthy was the thing that I always had to doubt about. It was never the talent. Yeah, and that's the it's the opposite scenario, isn't it? In terms of if the Nets win, it's it's not using the draft, it's the super team, it's the trade, it's the superstars coming together. And I think the average NBA fan who doesn't support the Nets 
uh, pretty much every other team. I think most of the fans, unless you had a bet on the Nets, I think you'd feel quite disappointed with the result. Uh, so I think overall, the whole NBA community has probably had a better uh, a better finals without them being there. But yeah, in a, in a way, you're, you're kind of picking on luck, but you're also picking on form because I don't think Kyrie's had a full season, has he, since 2015 now. So yeah, I, I actually get your point. The Harden injury is the one that shocked more people. I know he was injured early in the season, but I think he was the injury that really killed it. I think without Kyrie, they'd probably still win. Um, but yeah, having both of them injured, Durant having to go superhero every game, and Joe Harris basically turning into me from three point range, I don't think helped them either. But yeah, and, and let's like let's not also forget Dinwiddie. Like even if Kyrie was injured, but they had Dinwiddie, like he would have yeah. made that series close as well. So I mean, they were missing what you know a huge part of their key players, and they still you know were a, a Kevin Durant toenail away from beating them. <laughs> So yeah, I'm under no doubts that the Nets are probably the most talented team in the NBA, but they've put together a team, you know, Kevin Durant coming off of the Achilles. Ironically, he was the one to stay healthy. Mm. Harden hamstring issues just seem to kind of flare up this year, really. Um, and then obviously Kyrie, who you just never, you know, you just never know. You, there's, there's no track record of reliability there in terms of um, health. So. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, going back, kind of a finalised on the on the finals, the Suns as well, another team that drafted so well, they had some misses, similar to the 76ers really, where they had so many picks that some were going to flame out and, and some did, but they drafted very well. Uh, and us, both being UK-based fans, it's nice to see a European in Giannis uh, leading the flag for a team. So I think overall, great finals. Uh, me and Ben are going to come back to it this weekend for a full review. And as a Mavs fan, I'm slightly disappointed that Giannis re-signed. But now they've won a title, I'm uh, I'm glad. I think it was nice to nice to see him win. Um, but let's move on to the draft then. See who's going to help another another team win a title. Hopefully one day. Uh, we'll start with your top ten big board. I've got your tiers up in front of me. But did you want to just go through who you see as the top ten, and then after that top ten, name your the highest tier of those ten players? Yeah, absolutely. So my top 10 currently sits as Cade Cunningham, number one. No hot takes there. Um, I think he's pretty clear-cut, number one. I, I, I think it is it is close. It's the discussion, but he's number one for me. Number two, Jalen Green. Number three, Jonathan Kaminga. Number four, Jalen Suggs. Number five, Evan Mobley. Number six, Alperin Shengun. Number seven, Scotty Barnes. Number eight, Jalen Johnson. Number nine, Keon Johnson. And number 10, Davian Mitchell. Um, so that rounds out my top 10. In terms of my tiers, um, I've basically got that top five in a tier yep. of themselves. So Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Kaminga, Suggs, Mobley. I think they're all one tier. And then actually, the rest of my top 10 are in the tier, but it actually goes all the way down to like my, I'm just trying to see here, like my top from six to about 23, I've all gotten one tier. I'm not one of these guys who like, some draft people have like, 15 tiers in the draft yeah, and i just think at times they're just trying to like appear a little bit clever like oh i've got so many tiers because i have such an in-depth understanding and i can see all these nuance between the prospects and i just don't think in reality it works like that for these nba teams um i've got four tiers in my draft and i will very very rarely have more than that because i think you've got you know your high potential high floor stars i don't think any of these are like zion anthony davis level i think they're all kind of the step down from that you've then got your starter potentials and then after that you've got some kind of flyers and potential more your role players in the second round so i'll always just have like four tiers generally in my draft um i don't try and go too over the top with all these tiers yeah and i think this year especially with your the kind of your concept of your tier two being so big i actually think 
that's more common just for this year because it seems like after pick, well, it depends where you look. I've, for you, it's top five, but for someone else, it might be top four. After that top four, everyone just seems to have a different order from like five all the way through to like 30. Uh, maybe not quite 30, but maybe 22, 23. So I think overall, it's a high caliber top end of the draft and quite a deep kind of middle section as well. So I think it's a good place to have like a middle of the round pick, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you compare it back to last year's draft, Patrick Williams went four. We all knew there was a huge drop off there um, yeah. after that top three of Edwards, Wiseman and Lamello. And I look at someone like James Bucknight, who on my board is 13th. I think he probably would have been fourth last year. <laughs> like, um, I, I think all the way going down to probably, yeah, about, about, he's probably at like the bottom of the end, I think would have been in the running for fourth this year. So I think the back end of the lottery, I mean, last year was a weaker draft outside of those top three, uh, generally. I know Halliburton kind of broke out and played really well, but outside of that, I think it was weaker. This, this draft, I definitely think it's got better depth in that mid to late lottery compared to last year. Um, yeah, and, and I think... It would not surprise me that the guy selected 18th in this draft is better than the guy selected 7th in this draft, um, which is why my co-host Chase on the uh, at the High podcast was was happy when the Hornets were losing because we were getting a better draft pick and he wanted to get one more good draft pick before like putting the core together. Yeah. And for me, I was like, I don't really care if I pick 11 or if I pick 16. Like I don't I don't see a huge amount of the difference there. Um, now it's always great to be high in the draft because you are closer to that prospect you might value high you've got a greater chance of getting your guy but the way I see the draft I think there really isn't much difference here for those teams yeah and I think as well with the flattened lottery odds a lot of people wanted to just get as good odds as you can because like we saw with the Raptors you can climb quite easily and I think it was the Hornets wasn't it last year that climbed up in the draft lottery so it does yeah from eight to third yeah it does happen but um going back to your top tier then uh so one player in your your top five that isn't in everyone's top five and it's someone that uh, I spoke about with CJ and maybe weren't quite as high on. So Jonathan Kaminga, you've got him ranked third, like you said. Like you've even got him ahead of Mobley, which I think s- some people would be shocked to hear. So why don't you talk about Kaminga, what you like about him, what you think maybe other people don't like that you're not quite as worried about as, as well? So, yeah, there's a few points on Kaminga, the reason I like him. First, I think most armchair fans who will, who will go through the length of like watching a video They'll watch Jonathan Kaminga and they'll go, right, like he's, his shot isn't great. What's the big deal? I don't think people realize just how good Kaminga's like frame and athleticism is for an NBA player. And I think that's something like I was just reading an article today and that's what scouts say is one of the, the most important things about seeing a player in person is you don't get a, an understanding of like their vastness and mm-hmm. their just, just the tools that they've got physically. And Kaminga has excellent tools. Like everyone always talks about wanting these... You want switchable wings who can guard multiple positions, can score, can pass the ball, can defend. Kaminga can do all of those things. I know he's not a great shooter at this stage, and I'll come on to that. But he's, he, you know, he guarded point guards and guards a lot in the G League bubble. Yes, there are times when he could have been more engaged, but let's not forget, Kaminga's one of the youngest guys in this draft class. So he should be really next year's draft and reclassified pretty late. So it was a shock that he was even going to be in this draft. So it's not... You know, he's definitely learning the game. He's come to it a little bit later than most because, he, you know, he's originally come across and played high school in the States. Um, and back home when he was playing in Africa, like he's just not got the same development system. So he's still, I think, relatively early on his learning curve. So one is just the, the physical aspect. And everyone talks about needing these wings. 
everyone says how, yeah, there's loads of good guards every year, and yeah, fives aren't as important anymore in the NBA. And that's why one of the factors of having him above Suggs and Mobley, everyone seems to abandon that, like, you need to have a, you know, the fives aren't worth anything anymore when they talk about Mobley. And I know he's got a different skill set to most traditional bigs, but I still see him that way. He's, I still see him as a centre. I don't, not one of these guys who subscribes to him being a, a small forward or, you know, who maybe play power forward at a stretch in some lineups, but I don't view him as one of these wings. Like I think Chad Ford's been pushing that message a little bit. I think a lot of people reference his stats in the GD bubble, how he started off really well and how his efficiency dropped off. If it was a college player, we'd be talking about the tiny sample size because he got shut down with a knee injury after a few like a few games. And for me, again, you're talking about that sample size. It's just small to make huge assumptions about his three-point shooting. And the rumours coming out of G League Ignite early on was that Kaminga was actually the better prospect than Green. Before they played any of these uh, G League bubble games, when they had a couple of scrimmages against like select G League teams, Kaminga was the guy who popped, not Jalen Green. And... Look, I think Jalen Green did it enough in the G League bubble to, you know, why I've got him ahead of Kaminga now. But I don't think there's this huge gap between them. Um, and I really like his his passing flashes, his ability to guard. I don't think his shooting is as bad as it is, uh, as, as the percentages show for the G League bubble. I just think that's a little bit of small sample size theatre and people are overblowing that. Um, so those are kind of the key reasons. Positional versatility. Um, I think some people have really focused on his G League statistics. And we know really in scouting these prospects, G League statistics or any draft statistics aren't always a great identifier of players. It's more about skill sets and the environment they can in can dictate a lot. So that's my kind of self for Kaminga. Yeah, do you think, I guess, through mock drafts and I guess people's big boards and stuff, the range that they have him going almost makes it worse? Because I've seen a lot of people draft him, putting him at five. Uh, to the Magic, and unfortunately, the Magic have got this weird reputation of drafting big guys that can't shoot and show no signs of kind of constructive offense. Do you think that he's linked with the Magic so much that that kind of hinders him a little bit, and people don't realize that he's not quite that level of bad shooter that they've drafted in the past? Like, he's not a great shooter, but I still think, like you said, he's got a better touch than, than people maybe they've drafted before. Yeah, and the other thing is, if you watch video of Kaminga shooting, it's not a thing of beauty. I, I will admit that. You know, if you watch other guys, it looks a lot easier. He shoots quite a mechanical shot. And again, it's one of those things. If you know the percentage wasn't great and then you see him shoot and it's not like really smooth, instantly you you kind of just use that to further justify your case. So I do think you're right. I think there is a little bit of that there. Um, I, I think the other thing is, and in my rankings, I never take into account character and leadership too much, apart from when it's really well reported and I know it's legitimate. Yeah. And I think some people have seen some of the interviews with Kaminga and he's he's pretty shy. He's not that engaging. And then you watch Scotty Barnes and Scotty Barnes like lights up the freaking room. Like he's <laughs> yeah. smiling. He's, you know, he's just like the life of everything. And you can imagine like if you're sitting down and interviewing the two, there's no question you'd be more just drawn to Scotty Barnes over Kaminga. And without really knowing these people, I don't like to to have those refactored too much into my rankings. And we'll touch on Jalen Johnson later, which is another guy. Some people have him lower for that for the same reason. I just don't feel that I'm in the position to to make a judgment on someone's character because I'm just not close enough to them. And yeah. it's the same thing. I had Kevin Porter Jr. I think is like a top ten pick a few years ago when he was the last pick of the first round. And yeah, I, 
I know there are all issues off the court, but for me, I'm always looking at skill sets. Um, look, you know, I'm not paying too much attention of that in because I just don't feel like I'm well enough placed. And if those guys do flame out, I'll say, look, I didn't take that into account for that player. Now, if I work for an NBA team or I was on a scout, then absolutely I'm going to be diving into his background. But I just don't have the ability to make that decision or opinion about someone. And I think it's a little bit unfair how a lot of people just knock people down for stuff like that. Yeah, it can be very subjective as well. I think that's the the other side of it. And, and with Kaminga, a prime example of that is I know that uh, I think it was Jarrett Jack who was on the Ignite team. Uh, he, I think he was on Ryan Rosillo's podcast. And, yeah. uh, he was he was talking about how much, I guess, he was over, he was hyping up Jalen Green and how much he works hard and how kind of, of a leader he is with older guys and his presence on the court. And then when asked about Kaminga, he kind of shied away and was not quite as open and, and was saying that he's got to grow as a person and stuff like that. So I think when you have someone who's played or been around both of them, uh, I think that didn't help. I think that made him go down a couple of ESPN mocks. And then you see a couple of people that don't really watch enough film and they almost copy what ESPN do. I don't want to say that. Everyone does that, but there's a percentage of people that would just be like, okay, I don't, know where to, I don't know where to put Kaminga. I've got him five. ESPN, I've got him six or seven. I'll just move him to six or seven just because it's similar to them and I'll move this player up. And I think stuff like that d- d- doesn't help. And I think Kaminga's been a little bit um, maybe hard done by, by that stuff. But I am really worried about the shooting. On my board, I've only ranked 35 players. Uh, and he is a little bit lower on mine. Not too far off. I haven't got him as three, but he's at seven on mine. Um, but I could see why, why someone would be high on him. Uh, just going back to the other at night planning quickly. So Jalen Green, do you see him as much of a step down from Cade Cunningham? I know Cade Cunningham, he's 100 to one. Well, one to 100 on to, to go first. We all know he's going first. Do you see that much of a gap between those two prospects or, or are you quite close on them? I'm pretty close. Um, I think... Ultimately, and it's it's hard to do this at times to get into the weeds, but the the bigger your best guy is, the better your team is. Jet is a general rule. There are always exceptions, Trey Young. But you look at Giannis, you know, he's so big that people the 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 Suns just couldn't stop him. And the Suns' best two players were based around Booker and Paul, who were small. And you saw that at times it got just beasted on, on offensive rebounds by the Bucks. And you look at the Bucks and they're just a generally big team. So I always think when it's small, I'm, I'm usually tying kind of size um, and athleticism as, as that as that tie break. Um, but I do think it's close. I love Jalen Green as a scorer. I think um, he could absolutely be a Zach Levine, uh, Bradley Beal, which are comps that will have been thrown around before for people. But I think he could be in that range. At the same time, you look at those two players. Have they led their teams to the playoffs? Not yeah. so much. Like they, they, It's hard to lead a team as a two as a shooting guard. Bucker's just done it, but he wasn't doing it until CP3 got there. Um, the the jumbo playmakers, yeah, we've seen that before. Like that's a, We know that's a pretty translatable uh, skill to, to winning in the NBA. So that's kind of why I just have K to step above. But it, it's close. Yeah, that makes sense. I, there was a point, it wasn't maybe a month or so ago, that people were debating who would go one. There was the odd, it happens every year, there was a couple of rumours that, oh, maybe Jaden Green is top on people's boards. So I think the whole NBA has Cade pretty much one, but I agree. I think more people have Jaden Green closer than what I think the average fan would realise. Uh, I think Jaden Green's good. I have a little bit worries about the obvious. I'm not quite sure, like you said, in terms of being the number one playmaker on a team, is that ever going to happen? Uh, I, I don't really know. Uh, and I'm not sure if the scoring will translate as much when he's playing against 
uh, a kind of more athletic and bigger profile of defender. So, but for me, I, I had him as three on my board. I'm, I'm a bit higher on Mobley, and I think we'll probably save the green Mobley talk a little bit until we do the bets because I've got a couple of bets around that. But uh, next player I wanted to ask you about then, one of my favourite players in the draft, uh, Shengun, uh, the Turkish MVP. Uh, someone that CJ, who was on our last pod, was not as high on. I think he's like 23 on CJ's board. Uh, you've got him at six on your board. He's like top of tier two. So why don't you talk about why you're so high on him and, again, what, what, why you think people are not as high? Because I've seen people have him 23, 18, 19, whereas I, I, he's four on my board and he's, he's six on yours. Look, CJ is a great draft guy, so I have a lot of respect for him. And if he's got him ranked that late, like that is absolutely something that I will take note of. But... I think a lot of the people who rank Sengun really low haven't actually watched that much of him. I think they hear that he's an old school big. They look that he's six foot ten and that, you know, he's a post guy and he's not that great defensively. And that just sets off all sort of kind of flashing lights in their head in terms of, well, that's not a guy that I want to kind of really be behind. If you actually look at his game closely, he's not old school at all. Um, yes, he has a post game. But that's not the thing that excites me the most. I think his passing and feel for the game is just outstanding. And he plays with a certain level of, of confidence and swagger, like that he could be a primary part of an offense in the NBA. I mean, that's one of the things with Mobley that worries me. I, I think Mobley almost like plays like he wants to be a role player. Um, and I do think there's a certain level of like Wiggins mentality there where, um, you know, Wiggins never played like the alpha, even though he had all the tools to completely dominate. And you've seen that kind of translate in the NBA. Um, so, yeah, I, I love his passing. I think, you know, playing out the short role, play, passing out the post, very much like how Jokic does, how Al Jefferson used to do. That is an element. But he's pretty athletic. Like, he's thrown down some 360 dunks. He's put down some putbacks off offensive rebounds. He shedded a bunch of weight this past season. He's got much lighter on his feet. And if he's only just done that, you definitely think there's some, some room to go. Uh, he's only 18. He shot 81% from the free throw line. And although like his three-point percentage was, I think, under 20%, but he took barely any and began to kind of get a little bit more confident later in the season. Um, I've been doing this big piece of shooting research, this draft cycle, which has been a real eye-opener for me. And I'm, it's going to relate to Shengun here. So I'm going to I'm gonna throw some little questions back, back to you here because I want to see what your first impressions to be. So what percentage of players do you think improve their three-point percentage in the NBA from when they're a draft prospect? Well, college and international, just in general. College and, college and international, yeah. Uh, improve uh, with the line. I would probably, oh, not many, I would say. Maybe, I don't know, 15% max? Okay, it's 30%, so more than you thought. But yeah, the way that most that. people think about draft players is like, oh, and he'll shot will improve in the NBA. That's... That happens one out of three times, ultimately. Um, about 47% of, of shooters regress uh, and about 6% or say stay the same and about 18% don't shoot and they never did shoot. And then another piece here, if you shoot uh, over 80% from the line, the average NBA three-point shot is 35%. So if you shoot 80% or over from the line in college or before the draft, the average three-point percentage of that player is 35%. If you shoot under 80%, the average, oh, sorry, if you shoot under 70%, the average is 31%. So it really just goes to further evidence that free throw percentage does influence. So looking at the odds there, if if Sangoon has shot 81% from the line, 
looking at my research, which is basically looking at all drafts from 20, 2010 to 2015, because for me, anything after that, we just don't have a good enough like sample of their career yet to make these kind of definitive decisions on if they're a shooter or not. Um, you know, he's got a good chance to develop into a three-point shooter. And with his inside game and his passing along with that, um, I'm really interested. And the other thing, uh, Fran Fischiller said on the Chad Ford podcast that he he knows basically one of the players who plays in the Turkish League and he spoke to him. And the guy said to Fran, you don't understand how strong Shangun is. Like when he bumps into you, he moves you. And he's 18 years old. And he said, I've never played against an 18-year-old who does that before. Just because he's 6'10", I think people think, oh, well, he's, you know, he's small and he's weak. I think he's really strong. And I think that's something that you see translate. Strength in the NBA is, is not always a fancy thing. Everyone likes wingspans. But strength, if you can move guys and if you can body guys up as they try and drive into you or post into you, I think that's something that's going to be really important. I mean, we just saw it with PJ Tucker. PJ Tucker's like 6'7". But he can guard bigs because he's just that got that kind of thick body type and he's got strength. And I see Shengun with that. So um, I'm all in on the Shengun hype train. He's been six for me since like March. And I've done so much research and I'm yet to find anyone to give me a reason that I want to change my mind. Yeah, I completely agree. I think offensively he's so good. Uh, he's actually a better rebounder as well than people would think someone of his age and experience. In a league, to be honest, it's dominated by very big bigs. They're very skilled bigs in, in Europe, as we know. They're much more kind of throwback bigs. Um, and that's who he's going against week in, week out. So I've been very impressed with his rebounding. On my weakness chart that I've got, I think the clear weakness is defence. Uh, does that matter as much in the modern day NBA? I don't think so. I think a lot of teams have bad defenders. And like you said, he's only 18, so we can definitely improve on that side. A lot of it's kind of foot speed and almost defensive awareness. Like he doesn't know where to be defensively. So that's the sort of thing you can teach. But you can't teach six foot ten. You can't teach strength. So I do think there's a, a profile to at least improve as a defender. Uh, absolutely. Defense is the question. But what I will say is, Demantis Sabonis for the Pacers, is he good defensively? Not yeah. particularly. No. Is he still an all-star? Borderline, but yeah. And like, it once you get outside the top five in the draft, the odds of hitting an all-star is low. And I see a lot of Sabonis in Shingun, more so than the, the Jokic comparison that's sometimes used. But it's like, he's another guy who's like really strong. Um, and I actually think Shingun's probably got a bit better tools because I think he's a little bit bigger and a little bit longer than uh, Sabonis. And he can play more five in the NBA where Sabonis is more of a four. But um yeah, I just look. I'm not saying he's a perfect guy. We we know like ideally you want to have a two way defensive player. We've just seen like DeAndre Ayton. He can affect both ends. But at this point in the draft, I just don't see anyone who who has a better value. Um, he is going to be a heavily weighted offensive player, but I don't see the defense being a complete breaking point that you just can't play him. Yeah, I'm just desperate for him to go to the Warriors. I think it'd be so fun. Um, I also like the Spurs fit that we've seen yeah, in a lot of like mock that. drafts as well, to be honest. I think Spurs might actually be better for his career long-term, but my bias, I would love to watch him play with Steph Curry and Draymond Green. I think that would be fun. But uh, let's move on from Shengun then. Uh, so another player then that I wanted to, to quickly ask you about was Josh Giddy. Uh, so he is in tier two for you, kind of near towards the middle, surrounded by Wagner uh, and Isaiah Jackson as well. Um He's that tall kind of point guard. He's coming from Australia. I don't want to compare him to Lamelo, but he is tall. He's tall as well, like Luca, in terms of bringing the ball up the court. 
so I did think you might have him higher on your list just because of the profile of player. And obviously I know how much you, you loved watching Lamelo play. So why don't you talk to me about Josh Giddy uh, and kind of what you think his ceiling could be in the NBA? Oh, ceiling. I'll come back to that. In terms of what I think, I just don't buy the shot at all. Um, yeah. Shot 69% from the free throw line. As I said in the research I've done, you know, the the average for people who shoot under 70% is 31% in the NBA. And I he shot 29% from three this year. Uh, I know he kind of has flashed moments in some of like the Australia warm games where the shot looked better, but the mechanics like are way more concerning than someone like Kaminga, in my opinion. Um, I, I tweeted out a, a picture the other day. Draft Express had a slow-mo of his yeah, shot. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> his knees are like touching and his what... The base there is just all sorts. And, and yes, that can get worked on. But the starting point is not good. He doesn't show great natural touch. So he's, for me, like, I think he's going to be a below average NBA shooter. Okay, you're, 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 not, you're not dominating scoring inside. You're not a great shooter. Josh Giddy, how are you going to score efficiently, right? I love his rebounding. I love his passing. I don't think he's good after me. I think it will be harder for him to penetrate in the NBA just because everyone is that quicker, more athletic uh, you know, he, he ter- does turn the ball over quite a lot. And I imagine that will go up more in the NBA as well. Uh, but for me, I just don't know how he's going to score enough to affect the game consistently. So in terms of comps, man, I'm I'm really struggling. I'm, I really don't want to use Joe Ingles because it's just because <laughs> he's Australian that people use that. But um, I'm just trying to think like taller playmakers who struggle to score. Um, like a DeAndre Bembry is a guy who comes to mind. Yeah, there's not there's not many people that big, is there? It's Josh Giddy. He is like I know Luca was big coming out, but he is a different level of height. He's a six for eight, nearing on six foot nine, isn't he, for a point guard? Yeah, absolutely. And and the size, the ability for him to be able to to look over the defense is real. And you see that with the likes of Jokic, how he can pass over the defense and see. But the reason Jokic is so good is you've got to respect the shot, you've got to respect his ability to put it on the floor. Um, and he can also bully you with the basket as well. And I just don't see Giddy kind of, you know, I think people play him for the pass uh, because I just don't see him being able to score efficiently at, at the NBA level, inside or outside. So, I mean, for me, I think, where have I got him? Where have I got Giddy? I've got Giddy down at 12, so he's not in my top 10. Um, but the, the, I will say there's like a pretty good track record of like Australians in the NBA kind of sticking to it and, that you know, Australians generally, as we know, as Brits, because we kind of interact with them pretty consistently, are pretty feisty characters. They don't <laughs> go away easily. They they compete really hard, and I think you know he will have that, that that little bit in him. You can see it when he plays. He does play hard, so I think that is something that does interest me. I think he'll find a role. I just see him more as a as a role player, maybe kind of off the bench, which is why I got him outside my top ten. What's the highest that, like ceiling wise you could see him drafted? Do you think Golden State at seven is the the highest, or do you think he could? Or is that um, is that almost I'm too high? Surprised if he went that high, I'd probably see like the New Orleans Pelicans maybe. Yeah, a ten. I yeah. mean, not that I love that fit either. I think right where I've got him, kind of that Indiana Pacers area. Uh, yeah, late lottery is where I see. I, I'd be surprised if he went any earlier. Well, spoiler, you're going to hate one of my uh, my draft bets for later. <laughs> uh, cool, let's move off, Giddy, then. Is there any players that maybe you think the average, especially UK podcast, aren't touching on that might go in the top 20 that you want to give a bit of a shout-out because you think that maybe w- the, the consensus is a bit low? Mm, that I think will go in the top 20. That's a good question. 
I mean, Shingun's my generally like go-to guy for sleeper. Um, yeah. Well, you're a bit higher on Jalen Johnson than others that I've seen, and I think Keon Johnson is a lot more popular just due to that crazy leap. Whereas I don't think Jalen Johnson is a player that I'm seeing many UK fan accounts kind of want to be drafted by their team. So, why don't you talk about Jalen Johnson and maybe how good you think he could be at the next level? Yeah, for for me, I think just Jalen Johnson. Like, if you made an NBA 2K player, he, you know, he's a really exciting guy, like great athlete can see the floor pass really well, can handle in transition, has good size. Um, he does a lot of things that ticks the boxes in the NBA level. The question is about the shot. I know he shot 44 or something stupid percent from three in from college. He's not a 44% free th- shooter. I think he shot like under 70% again from the free throw line. So I, I think if he ever gets to be an average NBA three-point shooter, that would be progress. What I like him is I like his defensive versatility. Like his steals and blocks numbers lead the draft class. If you look per 36, his steals and blocks, he's he's out in front of everyone in the entire draft for for not non-bigs. Um, so I love his defensive versatility. And he doesn't really know what he's doing either. Like he's pretty much a loose cannon at the minute, but he's a bit of a ball of clay that I think if you mold him correctly, and that's why, again, another guy I like going to the Spurs, um, or the Warriors for that matter, I think he could be a really a, a two-way player who can have a real impact and really versatile. Um, I think the reason people are seeing him closer is because there's, from what I understand, there's, there's room of character stuff. Again, I've got him at eight. I don't buy into that when I'm looking at prospects. I can understand why people do. And a lot of the people, pe- a lot of the reason people probably shy away from Jalen Johnson is oh, well, why did he quit in his team at Duke? Oh, then there was something weird when he went down to play at IMG Academy in high school as well. And there's been some rumours that he's not interviewed that well and not really addressed the issues about why he he left Duke in the interviews. So I th- and, and then the sample size at Duke is really small. Like, he was in Coach K's doghouse, like, got benched and was coming in and playing really tiny minutes. Um then at the same time, like, then he, his good games were all against like kind of like weaker competition. So I think he had a good game against Pitt. Um, he had a really strong game, but he's just one of the prospects. Like he can do. He's probably one of the most versatile skill sets in the whole draft. And again, if I, I always draft for like upside in these things, and Jalen Johnson, one of the guys, if he puts it together, he's got an elite skill set, a two-way skill set to be able to do a lot on the basketball court. So. And that's why I've got Johnson top 10. I, I think it's probably unlikely he goes top 10. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan. As long as he can, again, I just hope those reports are off the mark, are not correct. Um, if that's the case and he works hard, I think he's got a really high ceiling. Yeah, I've seen him and Kispert actually that are somewhere between 15 and 25 on a lot of consensus big boards. But they're being drafted top 12 just because of their skill sets a bit more rare. Uh, in terms of athleticism for him, then obviously three-point shot for, for Kispert. So I think those two players are players that we could see drafted earlier than maybe the average person would think. So I think that's, that's an interesting one. Um, cool. Before we go on to bets then, so end of the first round, so late sort of first round picks, is there any sleepers that you really like that you think can make an impact on one of these good teams that, that need someone to play right away? Yeah, there's there's a couple of guys, I think. Um, all kind of defence first guys, I think, to have a role. So like Herb Jones and Aaron Henry, both wings, uh, probably projected in most places between like 40 and 50, something in that range. But I I love them both. Like I think you're looking for versatile wings who can defend multiple positions, who can pass the ball. They tick all those boxes and are both really good athletes. 
Um, so again, that that range, you're looking for those versatile wings. I think they do it. Both the questions for both players is about the shot. Is the shot going to come online? I think it's probably unlikely for both that, again, they're going to be anything other than below average three-point shooters in the NBA. Herb Jones made some kind of like major strides, really, in the last couple of in the last year or so, I think he shot over 40% from three this year. Not that I think he is a 40% three-point shooter. It takes ages to get up and he only shoots it when he's wide open. But both ultra-competitive, like team first, um, feisty, kind of like you saw like the Bobby Portis role in yeah. Milwaukee this past series where he just plays harder than most people out there and his energy makes things happen. And I think very different players but in terms of the attitude, I think both of them are just ultimate glue guys. Again, good steal and blocks numbers. It's a big thing I look for when looking at translatable defense. Guys who can anticipate on one end, getting lots of steals and, and impact the game defensively. Um, those are two guys I like at the end of the first. I've got them 27 and 28 on my board. And again, most places they'll be they'll be mid-second round. Um, the other guy was Miles McBride, who I've got 24. Probably a little bit higher than consensus. But uh, he's from West Virginia. He's a point guard. He's not really a two, but really good frame. He was another guy like Jalen Suggs. He was a Mr. Mr. High School. He was a quarterback for his state in high school. So like Mr. Basketball. I think he was Mr. Basketball. He was Mr. Football in his state. Uh, 6'10 or 6'11 wingspan for like a 6'3 guard, which is super impressive. Um, just a defensive menace, like not quite on the Davion Mitchell level, but right up there in terms of a, a guard defender. He really struggles to finish around the rim. Uh, that's the big drawback with Miles McBride. Like, as long as you run off the three-point line where he's a really good shooter, he's going to struggle to score. Um, but he can pass the ball pretty well. He's a much better passer than I think a lot of people give him credit for. Um, and I can see him being a really solid backup point guard. Now, what is a backup point guard worth in the NBA these days? Again, looking at the finals, campaign Jeff Teague. They were the backup point guards in this past series, and both of them played pretty sparingly. Uh, but Miles McBride, at, th at that point in the, in the draft, definitely an option. The fact he can shoot and defend, that's why he's kind of above those other two, just because I think he will translate as a three-point shooter in the NBA. Yeah, that's good, actually, because that's three players there that we haven't spoke about on either of our last two draft podcasts. That's so good for people to get an understanding one, uh, good understanding of. So another one I'll just add before we move on quickly to the, to the, draft, to the draft bets. Uh, Cameron Thomas, guard from LSU. Uh, I'm higher on him than consensus. I'm a little bit biased towards scoring guards that just love to score and can score in bunches, and I think he can. I've seen him mocked anywhere from 14 to 24, uh, so a real big range on him. But I think if he falls to the right team in that range, a team that's already good, a team that maybe just needs a bit of a scoring boost off the bench, I think he could be really good. Uh, and I do wonder if someone like OKC maybe at that 16th range or maybe even Memphis off the bench at 17 could take a flyer on him because I think he'll be a good scorer in the NBA. But I'm, I don't think you're as high on him as I am. Um, Cam Thomas is a guy I really struggle to evaluate. I'm just being honest. Um, there's not that many guys who can score at the level that he can in a vast range of ways, but then also don't defend or pass at yeah, all. Yeah, never passes ever. <laughs> and he's he's undersized. Um, he's not been that efficient, and a lot of his efficiency comes from the free throw line, which he is great at drawing contact. I just have some level of concern again when he gets to the likes of getting guarded by a Mikel Bridges type. Um, is he going to be able to, to get the separation, draw those fouls? Is he just going to get gobbled up? And if he does, if Cam Thomas's shot isn't falling, he's hurting your team. Like he's, he's not contributing in any other way. And 
for someone who just relies on one skill so specifically, and if it's a kind of, it's not like Corey Kispert relies on one skill, but we all know Corey Kispert's going to be a good NBA shooter. Cam Thomas relies on, on not just shooting, but scoring the ball uh, with his mid-range as well. We don't know he's going to be efficient in the NBA. We just don't know that's going to be the case. So I could, he's one of my like kind of stayaways in terms of trying to figure out where he's going to get mocked. I have a really tough time pegging Cam Thomas, but I've got no problem with someone who has Cam Thomas like 15. Um, I have no problem who has it at the end of the first round. I've just kind of hedged, hedged my bets a little bit mm-hmm. in the middle. Yeah, it could end up being a Brandon Jennings type who just comes off the bench and scores 12 points quite easily in a game. And then another game, he'll just be horrific defensively and he'll be dropped and won't play any minutes. I think he does have a bit of a, a varied uh, kind of cycle of what he could be. But I guess that's a lot of prospects, especially if they're small and they score score the ball like him. But we'll see. Uh, certainly, we're under a week away now from the draft, so we'll see uh, We'll see how it goes. So let's move on to bets then. Um, so I've got two segments. I've got a section of bets at the end that I'm going to read out and want you to... To give me your views on them and maybe pick your your favourite one or two. But before that, let's go through your over and unders. You've done a a good list for us on on Excel of uh, over and unders with uh, compared to their average kind of draft position. So why don't you go through a couple of bets that you really like on that list, whether it's over or under for some of these prospects? Yeah, I will say I already have one bet on, which I put on about two weeks ago now, which was the draft order of the top four, which yeah. I think at the at the time was pretty good odds, and that's why I jumped on it, which was. Cade, um, Jalen Green, Mobley, and um, Suggs four. And I think at the general time, I think actually Mobley going two was the had had the more favorite odds. And yeah. I I'd kind of already seen the writing on the wall, which I think now the odds I've not checked, but I know the odds will have shifted significantly because every single well sourced reporter has Jalen Green going two right now. Um, mm-hmm. So that that was a good one that I just jumped on early. And if it's not too late and the odds are okay, I would still say it's worth jumping on that because I think that top four is feeling pretty locked in. Like I've, so I, the, the way I do it and the, the spreadsheet you were just referencing is um, the five best mock drafts with the best track record over the last five years are ESPN, so Jonathan Gavoni, The Athletic, Sam Vecini, Jeremy Wu from Sports Illustrated, Jonathan Wasserman from Bleach Report and Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer. I've basically taken their uh, mocks and and look and kind of put them all into one sheet, so it can really give me an idea of right where is X player going and all these four or five mocks and what is their average to try and kind of just give a little bit of education as well as my own opinion. It just helps something kind of like reaffirm some of my opinions, and yeah. um, all of them have that top four, yeah. uh, and actually that- all of them have Scotty Barnes going fifth, which a month ago I can guarantee was not the case. So now it seems pretty much confirmed to me that Kaminga's range now actually starts from six and probably goes down all the way to like eight, maybe. Um, so that's that's something worth interesting, especially when you look at the odds. Scotty Barnes over under is five and a half. I think he's almost a lot to go fifth now. And there's some rumors. The only rumor that I've seen out there that could change the top four is that Scotty Barnes might go fourth. But I, I don't think they'll go there, not with Lowry being a free agent. And then Kaminga's over-under is also five and a half, so the same as Scotty Barnes. But I now think he's almost guaranteed to go over that. Um, so in per- terms of places to start, I think they're great places to start. Scotty Barnes and Kaminga, I think they're locked. I think Barnes is always locked to go fifth, and Kaminga is locked to go six, seven, or eight. So if those results are still up there, that's that's one of the things that I like. Yeah, I love that Kaminga one. That, that Barnes one interests me. Uh, and if you did want to be someone, because there were reports today coming out, I saw that, 
Um, Scott, like you said, Scotty Barnes being linked to number four. A uni bet, he's six to one to go four, which I find that's good odds, I think. I agree with you. There's a higher chance he goes five, but his odds to be five are, are odds on now. The value's gone. So yeah. If you want to take a risk that maybe Sokes isn't the one at four, I think the only option for me is Barnes. And the Barnes at sixes, I do quite like that. But I agree with you. I think I like his over-under. Uh, Kaminga, I personally will stay away because I don't trust Orlando. <laughs> that they won't, won't draft him. But I do agree that uh, every report you hear is that he could slide all the way to the Warriors, and the Warriors are at seven, I think. Yeah, seven. So, yeah, I think that's a good one for me. I think that makes sense. The next one on your list is one that I had on mine that I love. Oh, by the way, that top four you reference is even still. So you can still get even, so not quite minus money on that to be the top four that you referenced. Uh, I'm sure the odds you got were a lot better than even, though. I think I, got, I think I got three and a half to one. Yeah, that's good. That's that. good. Yeah, evens is only available in one place. Everywhere else is odds on. So that's that was a good bet. But uh, James Booknight for me is one that I'm just absolutely loving. I've actually already bet this one. Uh, Kevin O'Connor rumored that he will go. He cannot see him going outside the top ten. So he said in his last podcast, he said he loves him to the Warriors at seven. And if anyone who knows the Ringer, they are very close to Steve Kerr. Bill Simmons and Steve Kerr are very close friends. So I do wonder that could be a smokescreen, obviously as well. We we know that people do that, but. The fact he kept referencing Golden State and he kept referencing that top 10, I think under for me on the, uh, his over-under you've got is 10 and a half, isn't it? Um, yeah. So yeah, I love that. Nine and, and a half in some places. It's 10 yeah. and a half William Hill, I think. Nice. Yeah. I, I would definitely be on the 10 and a half. I think nine and a half, I would probably maybe have a go at as well. I imagine nine and a half odds has got better for under than the 10 and a half one as well. So I think either of those odds are, are good. Do, would you agree? My lock of the draft. Yeah. Right. I, that was the one that even before I did my document, I had that as soon as I saw that, I thought it was a misprint. Like um, <laughs> both Fasini and Jonathan Wasserman from Bleach Report, Fasini from The Athletic, they both said that his range is six, seven or eight. Um, some people even saying he's getting looks at top five. I just see no world where he's going to be slipping outside that top 10. Um, I, I mean, I would like it for my Charlotte Hornets because I think, <laughs> He's one of the picks that makes some sense for them and would make the Malik Monk decision a lot easier this offseason. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Probably my best bet from this entire podcast is the James Book Night Under. Yeah, I've, already, like I said, I've done that once. I think I'm going to go and try and find nine and a half now just to go under with that <laughs> one. Uh, the other one in the top 10, Davian Mitchell. It's over under his eight and a half. I'm a bit worried about that. A lot of people put him to the Warriors, but then I've Stay seen... Away. Yeah, I've seen if he's not in the Warriors, he's then going like somewhere between 12 and 15 at times. And I think yeah. it, that's just a little bit too risky for me. Uh, Franz yeah. Wagner, he's pretty well placed as well. Uh, another one that I really fancy if as an option for the Warriors uh, and the Magic as well. But I think if he was maybe 10 and a half, I'd be tempted to go under. But he's, I think on your spreadsheet, he's nine and a half. He's nine and a half at William Hill, which I'm looking at at the moment. So that's another another stay away. Yeah, uh, both Joe, both Jeremy Wu and Wasserman said Wagner's a lock, a lock to go in the top 10. Um, so I guess the challenge is there. He could go 10. Yeah, um, he could go 10 and screw you on the under. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, because I'm also, as we're getting closer to draft time now and people more linked in, I've got a little column where I'm basically keeping every sourced rumour for draft position for this very for this very thing to inform this. So, Wagner for me is just like a stay away. You're if basically if the ki- the Kings are the ones I think you're looking at, the Kings at nine are probably most likely to pick him, and I do think that's the case. 
Um, but again, it's just uh, they're also like shopping that pick, and if they do shop it, then he could slip a little. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm I'm a it's a stay away for me. It's not one that I'm looking at. Yeah, one that I am gonna place just because I've, I've already spoke about him now. Uh, so Cameron Thomas is. T- 23 and a half and I think you'll go under that that's my personal view that's not necessarily what your spreadsheet says I don't think but I think that's one that I'll go with just because my bias but uh, is there, pl- is there any one person who has Cam Thomas going late did you say under yeah I said under yeah yeah there's only one one place and that's ESPN who've got Cam Thomas going 25 everyone else is in going 20 22 22 16 so and that ESPN mock that's the only one that hasn't been updated in the last 48 hours. And we're recording this on a Thursday uh, afternoon. So if that gets updated and Cam Thomas is like 19, then he's going to be one of the ones that, that falls into the rare category. And there's, I think there's only like six or seven in this draft where yeah. every single mock is on the same side of the over-under. So it's not it's close because it is 23 and a half and there's two of them at 22. But I don't, I don't think that's a stupid bet. I don't. No, and one thing I will add... I do it more with NFL betting, uh, which people on the list to our pod and know that I do often. And the higher the person goes, so for example, uh, book night at 10, and then you've got Thomas at 23. There's so much more variance with 23 teams picking that someone could just pick him at 15. You had no clue that would pick him. Whereas when you're trying to do an over under for the top four or five, you've really got no variance at all. So I think the fact it's 23 and a half is one that I like. Uh, another player that I love due to my uh, Real Madrid fandom uh, Usman Garuba over under 15.5 but a lot of the mocks are saying he's going to be uh, going to be over that then apparently so yeah so his uh, on the mocks that I've got here they've got him going 17 twice 19 18 and, and then there's one that's got him going 12 and that's Kevin O'Connor at the ringer um, which is just one that I updated which I don't think you've actually got there because I updated it late this afternoon when we started recording the pod um, Garuba he, again, it's probably one that I'm not feeling great about. Like he's even been linked to Charlotte quite a lot um, at 11, to some extent, because he ticks quite a lot of the boxes of need. Although Charlotte haven't drafted like an international guy in the lottery since Bismarck Bayumbo, so I'd be a little surprised if they decided to kind of break that trend now. It's not really been RMO, uh, but again, for me, that's probably right around his range. Um, he would have been invited to the green room for the draft uh, if he hadn't been with the. Spanish team for the Olympics. So he is going to go top 20, you think. Uh, but yeah, I just think that 15 and a half for me is just right around where I think he'll go. Yeah, if I hadn't seen your spreadsheet, I would have bet under because he's one of my favourite players just from the watching Real Madrid week in, week out. Uh, but I just have to stay away now just because the data, being a, de- a data-driven better, uh, I can't bet that now, unfortunately. But I, I agree. I, 11, which I know CJ put him at 11 to the Hornets on my yeah. mark and your mark. Uh, Warriors at 14, I've seen in a lot of places now as well, which I love the fit. Um, so I would have bet under if I hadn't seen this day ever. But I agree. I think it's a stay away. Uh, are there any other over-unders on this list that you're, that you're kind of 100% thinking, right, that's one of my locks of the draft? Sharif Cooper. Over-unders yeah. 20 and a half. Um, he's not been invited to the green room for the NBA draft. So the the green room is where they basically invite the top 20 ranked prospects who then get to go out on stage and stuff like that. He's not been invited, which means that the NBA team's consensus is they generally think there will be some teams who still have ranked top 20, but generally he's kind of across all 30 teams. He's not ranked in the top 20. So with his overrunner being at 20 and a half, that's a pretty good suggestion there. I mean, again, 
His range is pretty wide. So both ESPN and Kevin O'Connor have him going 19. Uh, but then, like, everyone else has him going 25, 25, 29. Um, so I think Sharif Cooper's a guy that I'm going to keep an eye on. Um, if that ESPN mock comes out and, and he's dropped down a little bit after that green room invite, which I think he will have done, he's a guy that I'm looking at. Um, Zaya Williams. Yeah. There's been some buzz reported that he's worked his way into the top 20. That was reported by uh, Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated. And I was really liking this over-under until I saw the report because every mock draft, basically, again, apart from Kevin O'Connor, has him going in like the mid-20s. Um, and then his over-under is 18 and a half. So one that I did like before seeing this, if we want to go really deep, and we are going deep here, um, Jay Huff has got an over-under of 58 and a half. There's not a single mock draft I can find by a reptile source that has Jay Huff getting drafted. So it's it's and if you want a fun one to like keep yourself up to the end of the draft, I'd also <laughs> encourage you to bet on that because you can be cheering against Jay Huff. Uh, but he's one. Uh, Nemus Cater, his overrun is 47 and a half. There's not a single mock that I've found that's got him going higher than 51. So, but again, second round now. You're the difficult thing with second round if you've got a bunch of prospects who. It doesn't always come down to team ranking. What it actually comes down to is who's willing to accept a two-way contract. And that can a lot of the time dictate draft position um, over uh, the, the actual talent of the player. Um, so, I mean, we've, we've touched on most of, the, most of the ones there, I think, that I feel most strongly about. Um, cool. Yeah. I'm going to back Jay Huff now over i just have to do it it's impossible i'm probably going to book the morning off the work off work the day after so yeah. i'm probably going to try and stay up and i'm just going to be unfortunately i don't like cheering against someone who's probably i don't know i don't know the it's prospect, a fun bet. But he's probably like 20 years of age and i'm going to be cheering for him to almost fail but that's fine <laughs> we'll see how much uh, money we can get on that one uh cool well i got a couple of bets then here that i wanted to get your views on the first one i already know your view on just because it's cade green mobley uh as the top three uh, that is even, so you don't even have to worry about who's going to finish fourth. Oh, uh, this, I see yeah, the approval the, for that. Yeah, that's the bet I was preparing to wear, actually. I just realised that doesn't include the top four. So you can get evens at Virgin for that. Um, it was 8 to 11. It keeps swapping back and forth, so people are obviously backing it. Uh, it's back out to evens just before we recorded the pod, so I, I placed a bet on that one. I quite like that one. Uh, but if you do think Mobley will go second, uh, Unibet are offering you 9 to 4 just for Mobley to go second. So He's second on my board. I know he's second on a few people's board. If you don't believe the hype uh, and you want Mobley there at second, he's nine to four. And just to put that into perspective, one month ago, he was three to one on to go second. That's how much he's drifted. So yeah. it doesn't show great promise, but I do like the value. If you want to just go against consensus and say, right, he's a great player, I'll just pick the value. I think you can do that with Mobley. Uh, then fourth pick, I know we did speak about uh, six to one for Scotty Barnes, but the favourite is quite clearly Jay and Suggs. But you can still get him at five to eight. And I know that's very short odds, but I think it's almost a lock that Suggs doesn't go in the top three. And I'd be shocked to see him slip to five. So I think I like Suggs at five to eight there to, to be the fourth pick for Toronto. Yeah, um, that's one I probably wouldn't bet on just because I've seen two people report that Barnes at four in serious consideration, which that to me just plants enough seed of doubt to stay away from. But I, I do agree with you. Like at one point he was one of my favorite bets, Jalen Suggs for like the, for the under at four and a half. Yeah. Uh, because I think he was almost a lot to go there, but there's just been a, 
a little bit too much Barnes noise for me recently. Um, so I'm going to stay away. You, you try and even hedge it if you put if someone put ten pound on five to eight, for example, and then you put like three quid on six to one for Barnes. Yeah, you, you could obviously make money either way, but I do. Yeah, I can see why, judging from those reports, why we'd be keen on that one. Uh, the next one, I hope you're going to like, just because of your uh, rankings. So Shengun versus Jalen Johnson. You can pick who gets drafted first. Shengun to be drafted first out of the two is seven to ten. Uh, so just under evens, and I really like that because I think for sure he'll go above Jane Johnson for me. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think Shingun reported getting looks at both Sacramento and Orlando um, and San Antonio. Like they're like heavy areas of consideration, and I think that's like eight, nine, and twelve. And yeah. I think I think the first place Jalen Johnson's really going to get consideration is San Antonio at twelve. So I think already you've got like two opportunities there before I think Johnson will even get considered for, for Shingun to go. Um, and the fact that Shingun hasn't worked out for any teams outside of lottery, again, suggests there's some some positive indicators there. So Shingun over uh, to dra- be drafted before Jalen Johnson. Uh, yeah, I'm on board for that. I like it. What was that? What are the odds for that? Seven to ten, so just under evens. Yeah, so, I'm on board. So- I'm going to put one on for that. Yeah, nice. And the next one, judging by what is kind of two, two are the same here uh, from what we've said. So James Booknight to be drafted ahead of Keon Johnson. Uh, Booknight to go first is eight to 11. So very similar odds to Shengun. And for me, I like Shengun and Booknight both to win those bets. So I've already got those on. I think Booknight could go anywhere from six to 10. And Keon Johnson, I think maybe you're looking at the, the nine to 10. 13 range so again I think you've got a couple more chances with book night to go a bit higher so I like that one as well yeah I, that one were, I prefer the book night under rather than the versus Keon Johnson just because I have seen Keon mocked at times to Orlando to Golden State like looking at this Jeremy Wu has him going eighth Gavoni has him going ninth um I, again I still think like you said book night is more likely to go but I do think there's a world where he could go uh, higher than Buck Knight, so probably not one I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on. But I I do understand the I would say it's like a seventy five percent chance. Yeah, and then the next one I've got so uh, it's top ten bets, and I know you're gonna hate one of them after our previous conversation. So <laughs> we'll get that one out of the way. Giddy is eleven to eight to go top ten, and I like the Pelicans fit at ten. So that's kind of my thinking there. Uh, obviously, I couldn't find any odds for him to be drafted at 10. And if there was odds, I'm sure it'd be like eight to one because getting a specific player to go in a specific pick is very, very difficult. So I found a top 10, 11 to eight, but uh, you're going to hate that. So we'll uh, we'll move on. Uh, the next one, Moody, uh, another one for top 10. This is someone yeah. that CJ loves, that uh, Kevin O'Connor loved, and he was talking about on his podcast. He is six to four to go in the top 10. So again, not going to go in the top five so you've got from six to ten range for him to go there and I think six to four is just it's too high for me I think he should be lower odds compared to the other players in that area but what are your thoughts on Moody any chance to go top ten it's weird right because I think most people who follow the NBA draft expect Moody to go top ten but then you again you look at the mocks and it's really not that cut and dry like Gavoni has him ESPF I'm going 18 Jeremy Wu has him going 16 Vassini 11 O'Connor 15 like there's only one guy who has him in the top 10 and that's what uh Wasserman from Bleacher Report so um I, I like when I've been doing some mock drafts this year like Moody's always gone before Charlotte have selected at 11 so you know and he's kind of been one of the guys that I would have normally considered 
Um, it just to seem that the kind of NBA Twitter world seems to be a little bit higher and moody than maybe some of the reports are. For me, and I, I don't know what the odds are, is is for for Wagner to go top ten? They, I'm guessing, they're significantly worse than um, Moody. I'm uh, gonna do a live look up on that to see to see what we can get. Because, um, like I say, I've heard that that Wagner has a top ten promise, and I feel pretty confident in that. But I just don't know what odds you're going to be getting for that. The last time I looked, it was eight to eleven. Yeah, that probably does sound about right. right let's have a look. Top ten. When I looked. Um, Oh, there we go. Top 10. So he, seven to 10 now is seven his odds. To 10. Yeah. So he is the last player that is in what you call negative odds to be drafted in the top 10 on, on their yeah. list. They're not giving you any options for any of the top four, basically. Yeah. Um, well, one that interests me most is Devion Mitchell, one to three on to be top 10. And I've seen a few mocks where that doesn't happen. But yeah, so you can have Wagner at seven to 10. Moody at six to four or Shengun at eight to five. They're, they're, they're in the same area. And I guess from our talk that we'd be higher on Shengun, but I don't think there's a point to do a Shengun first to be drafted as well as doing a top 10. I think you're, you're risking yourself a little bit too much money. Yeah, there, I, think. I, I think a big thing to keep an eye on here is trades. Like if the Golden State move their picks, I think bet the over or else like for Davin Mitchell because. He, they're the team that worry me for David Mitchell. There's been quite a lot of rumblings there. And I don't really see him going to many of the other places like Oklahoma City, Orlando, who've got picks in that range. Um, I don't think they're going to take like, a, you know, a, a really old junior. Um, it just doesn't kind of seem to fit their MO. Um, yeah. So, again, that's that's one thing to keep an eye on in this is for the trades and the build of the draft. They are supposed to be really active Golden State. So they're just someone I'm keeping an eye on. Cool. Uh, well, the last one I've got, and I've only got this because of what you've said, actually, about Mitchell then. So, Keon Johnson versus Mitchell. Mitchell is actually the favourite to go first, which does shock me, apart from the Warriors thing. So, you can get Keon Johnson at 13-10 to 10, be drafted before Devin Mitchell. And I think if the Warriors don't take him, for me, there's no way he goes in the top 11. I, I agree. Think, I think Johnson probably would go in the top 11 or has a high chance to go in the top 11. So, I like Keon Johnson there at 13-10 to 10 over Mitchell. Yeah, I, I'm on board with that. Um, again, you're, you're kind of probably hoping for a trade, I think, from the Warriors, from what we seem to hear. But again, if if Kaminga slips and they end up taking him, like that's one of the kind of key landing spots for Mitchell gone. So also yeah. keep a, a set, like keep a look at that that Kaminga buzz. Really, um, mm -hmm. what I had was Moody over Moody to be drafted for Corey Kispert, um, which I don't want to. Um, yeah, I like which, that. Which I quite like because I think. Again, in the mocks that I've done, like Moody was getting looks at Orlando, at Sacramento, at New Orleans, in Charlotte. And I don't think Kispert's really getting looks until the Pelicans. And then after that, I don't think he's getting looks until like maybe the Indiana, like later lottery. So I'd probably have Moody over Kispert as well. Yeah, Indiana could pick him as like a Doug McDermott cheap replacement. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, and that sort of that sort of area. Um, cool. Well, two questions then. Uh, one is bet related, one isn't. Uh, so we've talked about all the picks. Uh, an area of the draft I just see, we've spoken about it already, but in terms of where everyone's different on, is that number five pick. If I, Who do you think, without looking at the odds, who do you think, in your opinion, not knowing the odds, would go at five most likely? Uh, a five? At this stage, Scotty Barnes, and I'm pretty comfortable in that. Yeah, he's his 11 to 20 favourite. Uh, and my my thing was now, Kaminga's drifted so far that I do think that, but 
Kaminga at third. So he's basically two and a half to one now at places, Kaminga, to go in that region. I do quite like those odds. Uh, but yeah, I guess Scotty Barnes would be your worry there, I suppose. Yeah. Actually, actually, no, you can get Scotty Barnes at even uh, on Virgin Bets, which is a bet they should probably take down. But you can get him at even. He's the same odds as Kaminga to go in the fifth pick. So if you like Scotty Barnes there, then maybe that's what, one. That... What's that versus the Scotty Barnes under? Uh, they haven't got an under over on there, I don't think. Have they not? No. Uh, uh, I, I know some other websites did have for Scotty Barnes, so um, I'll have to I'll have to have a check of that because if if the, the Scotty Barnes at five bet if that's better better than the Scotty Barnes under, then that's a no brainer. Yeah, well, his under over is five point five, uh, and the average price for an over under will be basically eleven. Uh, sorry, it'll be four to five, so it's near enough the same odds. Yeah. So yeah. So so you would go under in case he gets picked at four, basically, just to save yeah. yourself. True. Cool. All right. Well, we've got some uh, some bets there. When I tweet the podcast out, I will actually get two our two best bets each. So we'll tweet them out for people. People can follow them on draft night and maybe bet them, and we'll see how we do. But last question. Jay Huff over. Let's go. Yeah, that's going to be the one. <laughs> uh, you're a Hornets fan. We all know that. Um, do your podcast about the Hornets. Been a Hornets fan all your life. So you pick at number eleven. Uh, a realistic uh, prediction. Who do you actually want at 11 that you think could be there? Obviously, you may want uh, Evan Mobley, but he's not going to be there. So who do you think is going to be there at 11 that you would be happy for them to take? Uh, if the if I could give the answer, trade back with Oklahoma City for 16 and 18, I think I would. Um, okay. it's, it's really hard. So uh, over the time, I was thinking Franz Wagner was the guy who made most sense. And like me and Chase, my co-host, did a whole podcast about like what does Charlotte look for in a draft prospect? right, here's these four characteristics. Who applies, like, who ticks most of those boxes? And Wagner was the guy. Problem is, I just don't think he's going to be there anymore because I think he's going to go top 10. Um, so that's that was, like, always my answer. Like, who do you think they're going to pick? I'd always say Wagner. Now I feel like I can't really say that because I don't know how likely it is. Um, if Buck Knight slips him, if Wagner slips him, um, Keon Johnson, probably... Is a guy they could take. I, I think they want a little bit more immediate impact, but they've not drafted for need at all in like the Mitch Kupchak era yet. They've just drafted best player available. So I, I think they will. So, I mean, it's, I don't know. And this is why this draft is so hard. Like my, that tier is just so big for me. I've obviously got my personal preference. It would be Shangun, right? But yeah. I don't, I think they're going to go for a big name college player who was probably a, a McDonald's All-American or who was an all co- in an all-conference team. I think they're more likely to go for someone like that. Um, maybe Corey Kispert could be in the running, which which I wouldn't love. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really struggling here and I'm just throwing loads of names at you, which I know is cheating. <laughs> I'm going to pick a guy in a minute. The guy who I think the Charlotte Hornets are most likely to select at 11 is Keon Johnson. I'll say that. Defense. Nice. They need. They need defense. They've been a poor, They haven't got any real above average defenders on the roster. Um, he's got great athleticism. Gets out in transition with Lamelo. He's got some untapped ball handling. So like if Malik Monk does go, he could be a backup two. Be a lockdown defender. Absolute elite, elite character guy. Like uh, or like he's one of the guys. The reports I do believe because even before this year he got in college, everyone just raved about him. And he's been in part of Team USA. He's been a highly ranked high school player. Um, I worry about the shooting, that's for sure. 
but he has got actually like a really good mid-range pull-up shot and I love his ability to kind of like elevate in that mid-range. He just shoots over everybody and I think that's a little bit a little bit kind of Kawhi style in terms of it doesn't matter if you're there, he's just going to jump over you because he's like so long and so athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also see some like, and I know people are going to go crazy, but like Russell Westbrook was pretty similar to Keon Johnson in college. Like everyone thought Russell Westbrook was a two. He ended up transitioning to a one. He was an athletic freak. He played with an insane intensity. And they are some of the same characteristics as Keon Johnson. And they've always talked about, you know, this this roster needs talent. We're not at a point where uh, this team needs to draft for need. You only do that if you're, you know, really competing for a championship. So I think they'll go, I think they will go for upside um, and go Keon Johnson if I had to pick one, but it's tough. <laughs> As I say, this sounds like a year where you're going to be kind of waiting every single pick with bated breath up to like number seven. And then from seven to 11, you're just going to be waiting to see who who's left. So that makes it more interesting, I think, doesn't it? When you don't have a clue what, what's going to happen. Um, yeah, the only guy draft. that I wouldn't like in like who I think a lot of people would like is Moses Moody, who I've got ranked down at 19, which is pretty low. Um, I just don't really buy that he's going to be a anything more than an average shooter in the NBA. And I don't write, rate his on-ball defense. And Outside of that, like I like his off-ball defense. He makes some really good rotations and he can make an impact with his length. But he just relies on shooting over people to score and does so pretty inefficiently. I don't think the free throw rate is going to translate, similar to what I was saying about Cam Thomas. So um, he's probably who I'd be most disappointed with. But again, even then, I could see the logic. And he's 19 on my board. So this is a year where I'm probably going to be pretty happy with whoever they pick, um, unless they go completely like out the ballpark and go like Zaya Williams, uh, who I've got down at like 16 or so. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I did hear on your podcast that uh, you guys are saying that pretty much that there won't be many picks that you're unhappy about. So we'll see. I think if they draft Moody or Kispert, then I'll know uh, not to message you to the next day when you've had a sleep, just so uh, you're not annoyed <laughs> about the pick. But we'll see. It's going to be interesting. But uh, I think we'll wrap it there. Uh, thanks again, mate, for coming on. Do you want to just shout out your uh, your Twitter handle and where anyone could uh, read or listen to you for, for Hornets yeah, stuff? Yeah, so I, uh, my Twitter handle is at British underscore buzz, and I generally tweet Hornets and NBA draft and general NBA as well. Uh, you can find my writing and podcasts on atthehive.com, and if you go on at the Hive podcast on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, you can find it on there. Been doing some really exciting stuff recently. Numbers have been really good for the podcast. Definitely building a good following there, so that's positive um but yeah that's that's where you can find me um always always look forward to this coming on i think i've i messaged you this year being like when are we doing the draft podcast so uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah really really enjoyed it last year will not relive my nine for nine bets from the draft for this year but hey we're, we're gonna give it a go so yeah thanks again for having me on appreciate it no worries we're gonna try and tweet out three picks each for for the bets and i think if you go three for three after a nine for nine year then that you, that's it, you're going to be known on Twitter as the draft bet expert, but we'll see. Uh, me and Ben will be back. Uh, hopefully this weekend we're going to discuss just the Bucks win the championship. We're going to have a little bit of a um, a chat with Bucks UK as well, um, just get his feelings on on what it's like to win a title. Uh, go follow us at, at underscore Harbour Hoops, uh, and we will speak to you soon.